Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is a production of Pardes North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Welcome back, everyone. This is Michael Hatton, and this is our Pardes podcast from Jerusalem on the book of Samuel. Last time, we discussed the crimes of the sons of Eli, Chofni and Pinchas. These two ostensible leaders at Shiloh abused their privilege, oppressed the people of Israel, and desecrated the service of God. Their infractions included taking from the sacrifices portions that did not belong to them, and most heinously sleeping with the women who assembled at the opening of the tent of meeting, the Mishkan at Shiloh. And so by the end of the chapter, their doom was pronounced by the mysterious man of God, along with doom upon the entire house of Eli, the high priest. The lessons are clear. To be a leader is to serve. To be a leader is to exercise power responsibly for the betterment of the people, to guide and to instruct and to serve as a moral exemplar. To fail to do those things as a leader is to surrender the privilege. Chapter three continues the account. Shmuel is growing up under the tutelage of Eli, the high priest. And while Eli is a failure insofar as his own children are concerned, he is successful in instructing and guiding Shmuel to be a servant of God. The chapter begins with the report, Vahana'ar Shmuel Misharet et Hashem Lifnei Eli, the lad Shemuel ministered before God, before Eli. But the word of God was very rare in those days. Ein chazon nifratz, visions were uncommon. On that day, Eli was sleeping in his place. Ve'enav heichelu kehot, his eyes had began to dim. Lo yuchalirot, such that he could not see. Eli is, of course, an old man. Perhaps he's suffering from cataracts or from macular degeneration. V'ner Elohim terem yichbeh u'shimuel shochev behechal Hashem asher Elohim. The lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out and Shimuel was sleeping in the sanctuary of God where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. The scene that opens this chapter is somewhat surreal. The silence of the night, the compound of the tabernacle. Eli is asleep and Shimuel is asleep as well. And the lamp of God has not yet gone out. That's a reference to the menorah. The menorah was kindled in the evening 
and remained lit the entire night. By the time the morning arrived, the lamps of the menorah were extinguishing. And so the report that the lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out indicates that our episode is taking place late in the night, even as the dawn is approaching. God calls to Shemuel, and he answers Hineni, running to, to Eli. He says, here I am, because you summoned me. But Eli responds, lo karati, I did not call you. Go back to sleep. And so he did. God calls Shemuel's name again, and Shemuel goes to Eli. Hineni, here I am, ki karatali, because you summoned me. But Eli responds, I did not call you my son. Shuv, shechav, go and sleep again. Shemuel did not realize, could not appreciate that the word of God was being communicated to him. But God once again called Shemuel a third time. And he came to Eli and he said, Hineni, kikaratali, here I am, because you summoned me. And Eli now understands that in fact God is calling the lad. Eli tells Shemuel, go back to sleep, and if you hear the voice again, then respond, Daber Hashem, ki avdecha, speak God, your servant is listening. And Shemuel returns to sleep. God now comes and his presence calls out to Shemuel, Shemuel, Shemuel. And Shemuel responds, speak, your servant listens. God now communicates to Shemuel a prophecy of doom. Whoever hears these things, said God, his ears will ring. On that day, says God, everything that I pronounced on the house of Eli will be accomplished. Hachel v'chaleh from beginning to end. I will judge his dynasty forever. Ba'avon asher yada, because Eli knew that though his sons made light of me, he refused to rebuke them. And therefore I swear, says God, that the iniquity of the house of Eli will never be forgiven, neither with sacrifice nor with offering forever. Shemuel returns to sleep, and the next morning, Eli summons him, demanding to know what God had communicated. Although he is reluctant to share the words, Eli prevails, and Shemuel tells him everything that God had communicated. Eli responds, Hashem hu hatov be'enav It is God's will, he will do what is right in his eyes. The chapter concludes with Shemuel continuing to grow, with God continuing to be with him more and more, such that all of Israel began to appreciate that Shemuel was ne'eman le'navi l'ashem, had been appointed as a prophet to God. And God began to appear more and more at Shiloh through Shemuel in order to communicate his word to the people of Israel. And so the chapter ends. Effectively, we might say this chapter serves as the transition. 
as we move away from the leadership of Eli, the high priest, to a new model and a new leader, the leadership of Shimuel. And the dynamic of the transition is absolutely intriguing. God calls to Shimuel and Shimuel runs to Eli, thinking that Eli is calling him. And this happens three times. And only on the fourth time, the climactic fourth time, does it become clear to Shemuel that in fact God is addressing him. I'd like to suggest that in this dynamic is concealed an idea about the relationship, the loving relationship between Shemuel and Eli, and a larger idea about such relationships as well. When Shemuel hears the word of God calling him, he immediately assumes it must be Eli who summons him. And this is because in Shemuel's mind, the word of God and the word of Eli, his mentor and his guide, are one and the same thing. And so Shemuel will run to Eli and say, you called me, I'm here. And Eli will say, I did not call you, go back to sleep. And it happens once, and it happens twice, and it happens three times. And now Eli realizes that in fact God is summoning Shemuel. And this is of course a moment of awareness. Eli now appreciates that the word of God is being communicated to his protege, to his mentee, to his devoted servant and student Shemuel and not to him. At the very same moment that Eli realizes that the word of God is no longer being communicated to him, Shemuel comes to a realization as well, that the word of God he associated with his mentor, with his guide, with his teacher, with his surrogate father, is no longer associated with him. Eli has been displaced. The word of God skips over him, as it were, and comes directly to Shemuel, as if to say, the man that I thought was the man of God has been rejected, and I have been chosen in his place. This is, of course, a critical moment in the development and the maturity of any aspiring student. Sometimes we look at our teachers, we look at our mentors, we look at our parents and regard them almost as the word of God until that day comes when we realize that they are only human and they also make mistakes. And in fact, we have to find our own way if we are to be successful. So even as the word of God skips over Eli and he realizes from this point forwards, God has chosen a different vehicle. At that very moment, Shmuel appreciates and understands exactly the same truth. And this is of course startling because in the hierarchy of things, Eli is the high priest. The word of God should come to him. Shemuel is a young Levite who ministers before Eli. He should be receiving the word of God from Eli himself. 
But in fact, that's not how the dynamic plays itself out. So one might say, this is the chapter in which the transition takes place. A Lee has been deposed and rejected, his dynasty condemned to doom, and now Shimuel will take his place as leader and prophet in Israel. Rabbi David Kimchi comments that the lamp of God about to go out, the end of the night, the break of dawn at hand is symbolic. It is the text's way of saying that the son of Eli the priest has set. The night has come. His career as teacher and guide of the people of Israel and of Shimuel is about to end. But there is a hopeful beginning, a dawn waiting to break. The lamp of God will go out. Call that Eli HaKohen. But another light will dawn. Call that Shimuel Hanavi. And in fact, what happens here at the tabernacle is so critical because it speaks to the much larger story. The tabernacle is Eli's home. It is his preserve. It is his responsibility. He oversees it. And whatever happens in those holy precincts is his responsibility. And now his rule has come to an end. And it has come to an end because he failed to rebuke and to guide his own children. The language of the text is very, very deliberate here. The text reports the reason why you and your household will be judged forever, verse number 13, because you knew, he knew, God is speaking to Shemuel, Eli knew that while his sons made light of me and disgraced my service, he did not rebuke them, velo kiha bam. The root kiha is exactly the same root that's used to describe Eli's failing vision. Ve'enav heichelu kehot, his eyes had become dim. If we were to translate velo kihabam literally, it might be something like he refused to dim their spirits. He refused to darken their mood. He refused to rebuke them and to reprove them such that they would change their ways. Effectively, in the original Hebrew, once again, a direct connection is being drawn, as we pointed, pointed out last time, with the Sforno, between Eli's physical blindness and his willful blindness, his unwillingness to recognize what his sons had done and to respond to them forcefully and effectively. Because he would not rebuke them, as it were, because he failed to see their crimes or would not admit to himself that they were capable of it, for that reason, his dynasty will be deposed. The text says, God communicates to Shemuel, the house of Eli will never atone for their crime, neither through sacrifice or through offerings forever. And this, of course, highlights a classic rabbinic trope, 
Mida keneged mida, or measure for measure, or nemesis, or retributive justice, the very sacrifices that they disgraced through their behavior can no longer serve as the instrument for their atonement. And the text sounds absolute on that point. There will not be atonement for the house of Eli forever. But the ancient rabbis, as they always do, come to the rescue. For the ancient rabbis, it is inconceivable that a person would be denied the possibility of tshuva, no matter how heinous the crime. And therefore the rabbis comment, well, it is the case that the house of Eli will not succeed in atoning for their sin through offerings or through sacrifice, they will succeed in securing atonement through Talmud Torah, through Gemilut Chasadim, through Tefillah, through the learning of Torah, the performance of good deeds of loving kindness, sincere prayer, all of the channels that we regard as being central in a tshuva process are not closed to anyone no matter whatever crime they have committed. So rather than being a hyperbolic exoneration of these criminals, the rabbis are teaching us a fundamental lesson in the dynamics of tshuva. No matter what crime a person has committed, atonement is possible if they are willing and prepared to be sincere and to devote themselves to constructive behavior, the essence of a tshuva dynamic. And so the chapter ends with Eli the high priest resigned to his fate, announcing God will do what was good, what is good in his eyes. And of course, this reminds us of Eli's failure to see with his own eyes what his sons had done in chapter two, remember how he said, I have heard the rumors, but I cannot see. I did not see, I would not see what my sons have done. So therefore God will do what is good in his eyes, in his own sight. And from this point onwards, effectively, Shemuel now assumes the mantle of leadership at Shiloh. And remarkably, the priesthood is sidelined even though Shemuel is a Levite, as we saw earlier, and the priests are descendants of Aharon. And all things considered, the priests should occupy the top of the hierarchy. Shemuel effectively has secured for himself, through his merit and not through entitlement, what is rightfully his leadership of the people of Israel through his devotion, through his sincerity, and through his righteousness. From this point onwards, Shemuel will take his place as a prophet in Israel. Next time, we will look at chapter 4 and consider exactly how this transition plays itself out as the house of Eli and the sons of Eli come to their bitter end. 
Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Parties North America in partnership with the Quorum Podcast Network. If you like what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.